The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Amen. Thank you, Krista. Hey, welcome, everybody. It is a wonderful December day. Uh, December means that we are in our Christmas season. We're using the word Advent to describe our series. But as we just engage in these next few weeks, I know they're busy for so many people. It is a time of craziness. Emotional health is very important right now. And we're going to talk about that a little bit uh, today. I just want you to know that I'm thrilled that you're here. I think that God has something really great to do this morning, and what's going to happen is is really something that He will be glorified by. So when we talk about this, though, I want to mention a couple things that we have coming up. We have our Christmas Eve Eve service. So we are not going to have a Sunday service on December 24th. The night before, 4.30, I want you to come and bring everyone you know to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And then I want you to take that Sunday morning to sleep in and to relax and to maybe go to another Christmas Eve service that night. But I want you to just know that your, your summit church responsibility has been taken care of. And we are planning a wonderful, wonderful experience for you on that day, December 23rd, 4.30, right here. So I want you to know that. The second thing, we are doing Project Christmas right now. What that is, if you haven't heard about it, it's our opportunity to give back to our local mission partners. So we want to raise $55,000 this year through your generosity, Summit Church's generosity. We want to raise that money to give to our local mission partners. Literally every dime of money given to Project Christmas goes to them so that we continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those in our community. Here's what I know. I know this is true. Every family in America is feeling the fact that the dollar just isn't going as far anymore. Every family's feeling that. And so when you're thinking, I I don't know how we're supposed to give more all of a sudden at the end of this year, here's what I want you to think. My struggle, this is my family's struggle. A gallon of orange juice is $8. That's our struggle. There are families in our communities that can't eat. My struggle and watching a child go hungry are not the same thing. So if you have the means by which you can say, for Project Christmas this year, I want to give, I want you to know that that money, that generosity that you show is going to go to families who aren't concerned about the price of a gallon of milk or orange juice. They are literally wondering, where is my next meal going to come from? And if you know where your next meal is coming from, then just have the conversation that I'm asking you to have. Hey, family, how are we going to do Christmas a little differently? How are we going to do it a little differently this year? Maybe not as many gifts under the tree, but we contribute to make sure that every family in our community can eat, can have a coat. Those who are struggling with addiction, which is a huge piece of this, that that they can have help and care. And then some of your resources, just so you know, some of them will go international to a water well, to truly third world countries where their number one thing is, I don't have water to drink. That's the next, next level. This is what we're giving towards with Project Christmas. And so I want you to understand that and not as some hard appeal. If you give, you give. Whatever you give is going to go. 
But I want us to be a generous church that realizes that even if we're feeling the pinch right now, there are people in our communities and there's people in our world that are feeling it even harder. And, and I'll say this, if you're sitting in here today and you're wondering where your next meal is going to come from, will you find me or Jared as immediately after the service and we will provide your next 20 meals? Because that's what our church does. So if that's you, we, we will take care of that. So I just want you to know that. So that's Project Christmas. We are in our Advent series. Uh, last week, we talked about hope. Hope is something that is misconstrued often because we misinterpret the word wish versus hope. We wish for things that are not likely to occur. We hope in things that there's a proven track record. God has a proven track record. When he says he's going to do something, he typically does it. And when I say typically, I'm being facetious. He always does it. He gets done what he says he's going to do. He says, I have a plan for you and your life, and here's what it entails. The sacrifice of my one and only son. I come through when I say I'm going to do it. You can hope in things and entities and gods that do what they say they're going to do. And God, our creator and sustainer, he is really good at coming through with what he says he's going to do. So we talked about hope last week. We are going to talk about peace this week. We're going to join tens of thousands of churches across the globe who are doing the exact same thing. But we're going to talk about peace, understanding that peace is something that comes from God to us. Because in this season, we talk about peace, but I think what we think peace is is the absence of conflict. If I could just have a life without conflict, that would be incredible, right? Right? A life without conflict, that would be incredible. That's not what the peace of God is. It's not an absence of conflict. What Advent is all about is the fact that Jesus came once, and we celebrate that, his arrival. That's what the word means. And we wait patiently for his second arrival or second coming. That's what we're doing here. But we're looking through this small series at how we live while we wait for that second arrival. Last week, we live with hope, knowing that what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. This week is with peace. Peace is not something that is just the lack of conflict. However, I absolutely want it to be. I am known by those who know me, okay? If you've been around me enough to see my character, to see who I am, I am described in this way. I love things to be fun and easy. The greatest compliment that I can give to something in my life is like, that was fun. That was really, truly fun. I love that. What does that typically mean? That was incredibly easy. I did nothing to make that happen. And it made me happy. Like, that was super fun. Now, there have been medical experiments done, and there are, there are diagnoses of this. And so I just want you to know that some of the symptoms of people who struggle with fun and ease are laziness and apathy. Those are, those are things that actually are my, my character flaws. I don't like to work super hard. I, I don't necessarily want to engage in things that I don't want to engage in. So it's not a great way to live life. But for those of you in the room who are like me, that just say life should be fun and easy, 
I think we misconstrue what peace is. We think that's peace. Peace is when everything in life is fun and easy. There was a artistic competition done at the University of Virginia. This was done just a few years ago. They opened it up to all their art students, but they opened it to the community as well. And here was the topic. Draw a picture, paint a picture, or sculpt something that represents peace. That's all they gave, that represents peace. So several art students, several different people from the community, they contributed their pieces. There was a lot of landscape, like quiet, tranquil ponds, little cabins, smoke coming up from the chimney. That is peace. For many of us, we think like that's peace. It's tranquil. It's no chaos, no conflict, no nothing. There was actually a retired army general in the area, Virginia, that makes sense, retired army general who happened to be an artist, he submitted a drawing, great drawing from all extents and purposes. It depicted war and death and chaos. Men killing men on a battlefield. And it showed one man in the center of the drawing that was mostly made out of black, red, orange, evil, dark colors. One man was depicted with a white heart on his chest. That was it. I mean, no no verbal description, just that. That was the drawing. The professors at the University of Virginia that were judging this competition picked his as the winner. Because for many of us, we just misunderstand peace. Peace is being able to sit in the middle of war and be okay. Because yes, are you going to have days that are peaceful? Absolutely. You might even have a week that's peaceful. No conflict, no fights, no strife, no no worry. You, you, You might make it a week, but then what happens? Life happens. And peace is being able to sit in that and be okay. So he won the competition by drawing what I think is biblical peace. That's biblical peace. It's not life without conflict. It's life within conflict that you can live. Amen? So let's unpack it. Just biblically, what is peace? Uh, I'm going to read a couple passages that come naturally during this season, but I think it puts it in perspective. What is peace? Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the characteristics written hundreds of years before Jesus was born about the Messiah All of those things are true, but that Prince of Peace, he will usher in peace. The peace we're talking about today comes from God, but even more than that, it comes in the form of God. I want you to hear the difference. 
That peace comes in the form of God, the embodiment of Jesus. That is the peace that we want. It's not just an absence of conflict. So when peace literally, literally, when peace literally arrived on earth, here's what the angels said about it. Here's what the angels declared when peace arrived here on this earth. Luke chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. For unto you a son is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. You'll find a form. You'll find a baby. It's not an idea. It's not an emotion. You'll find a baby lying in a manger. When that happened, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, the angel who had been talking about this to the shepherds. They began to praise God because that's what angels do. And as they were praising, they declared this, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. God has shown up. He is worthy. He is faithful. We can hope in him. That was last week. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Very interesting phrase. Not one that we would naturally gather from this. But when we look at it, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Who are those on whom his favor rests? Well, biblically, it's those with whom he's well pleased. Multiple times God said that about his son, Jesus, but that's also what he says at the end when we meet him face to face, come and share in your master's happiness. I'm, I'm pleased with what, what you've done. I'm pleased with what you've chosen, where you've placed your faith. These are people who have experienced the presence of God. They are people from whom God has come down and rested. Who are these people? Those who have received the free gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those that the Bible would call the children of God. The children of God are those who are adopted into the family of God through their faith in Jesus. If you have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, then you are part of the family. You've been adopted in to the family. You are a child of God. That is the person. Those are the people on whom the favor of God rests. What does the favor of God mean? It means many things. It means salvation. It means eternal life. It means hope, but it also means peace. It means peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, here's the saddest news that you will hear today. This peace is offered to all people, and it's accepted by very few. And so we have a world that is wonderfully proficient at destroying itself. We have a group of people called humans who are excellent at destroying peace. An anthropologist in 2004 wrote an article looking at all of recorded history. Now, I don't know how you do that, so I'm going to call a little bit of, I'm not sure on that one, but looked at all of recorded history and said that throughout history, since records have been kept, there's only been 8% of human history, recorded human history, that has been at peace, meaning there are not global, global wars occurring. And so I read that and I kind of go, hey, I, that, like, I'm, a, I'm more of a math guy. I'm like, that means 92% of the time for all of eternity, or like all of earth time, like it's been at war. But then I started to think, I've, I was born in 1980. So that, that tells you where I'm at. I was born in 1980. 
I have felt like I've been brought up in a time of incredible peace globally. But then I actually look and think and go, no, there haven't been many years of my 43 where there's not something going on. We just don't call them World War II, World War I anymore. There's still global conflict. Why? Because humans stink at peace. We covet. We fight. We steal. We murder. We pursue our own gain and we build our own kingdoms. And God came and said, this is a mess and I want to step into your mess. I want to provide relief, but I'm not just going to do it in one fell swoop. Now, when my son comes back, then yes, that second coming, then it's going to be peace for eternity. But he came to bring peace the first time for those who would choose to follow him. For those who would choose to place their faith in him. And that peace that Jesus offers through faith in him, it takes on three characteristics. I mentioned them briefly last week. I want to go into them in detail this week. So the three characteristics of peace that relationship with Jesus brings to you, first is peace with God. And that may not be one that many of you think about. When you think about what it means to have peace with God, you you may not really think that's one I need. But prior to your salvation, and I'm not sure that everyone in this room is saved. In fact, I, I, I doubt that that's true. But prior to your salvation, you were an enemy of God's. That's what the Bible says. You're an object of his wrath. The sin of this world, your own sin, it had made you an enemy with God. There was no peace between you and God. And some of you still feel that way today. When you're saved, it's supposed to turn you from a path of self-destruction towards a life with God and a life of peace. And you're going, I'm not sure that I have that. But here's the obstacle that must be overcome by everyone. Many in this room even don't believe that God is for them. They believe that God is against them. And that is not true. God is for you. Now, the reason that some don't think that is because they believe that if God was for me, I would have no conflict in my life. That's not what God promises. He doesn't promise that you'll have no conflict. He promises that when that conflict comes, he'll be with you. Do you remember the the general's painting? In the midst of war, within your heart, there's peace. That's what God promises, and he wants us to know that he is with us. The way he's provided, the means for peace that he has provided is through relationship with him. Many people try to bring peace between them and God through their own works. If I could just be good enough, God would love me more. If I could just go to church enough, God would love me more. If I could just give enough, God would love me more. If my family could just be... pure enough, then God would love me more. If We believe that if we did these works, that God would then have peace with us, that we would be at peace with him. But that's the absolute opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 10, for if while we were enemies, 
If while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's how he did the reconciling of that account. You're my enemy, but I'm going to sacrifice my own son. I'm going to come and do something for my enemies to show great love and affection and care. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we not be saved by his life? Much more now since we were enemies and he came to provide a way to have peace, all right? That, that's when there's a war, you have enemies battling one another. What happens when there's peace? The enemies become friends. That's how you have peace. They stop fighting each other. And that's what God did when he sent Jesus. He goes, we are enemies right now, but now because of Jesus, because of this peace, we can be friends. We can be together That's what it means to have peace with God. And so many people truly still believe that God could not possibly, possibly love them, could not possibly have the affection and the desire for them that they hoped he would. And those are the lies that come from Satan, which Satan also uses to mess up the second characteristic of peace. The second characteristic of peace is peace with ourselves, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is one of my favorites, except for that first phrase. Throw it back up there, please, if you don't mind. That first phrase, do not be anxious about anything, I know that's biblical truth, but that's really tough for me to do. Anyone else? Just like, don't worry, don't, don't be anxious about anything. I, I see that as a, as a command, and it's because God will take care of it, and God will bring peace into your circumstances. But it's hard for me to not be anxious about anything. Why? Why is that hard? Because I want to be God. Because I want to control things. Because I want to have the final say. And when we're willing to allow him to be God, then these things start to fall into place. Your heart and your mind, according to Philippians 4, 6, and 7, they need to be guarded because they're under attack from Satan. Satan has some really, really good lies that he loves to employ against all of us. And they start with mistrust or mistruths about ourselves. And those mistruths about ourselves result in guilt, shame, condemnation, fear, many other emotions that make us think we're not good enough. And so what Paul says here in Philippians, what God says to do, when you are not at peace with yourself, I need you to press into that discomfort. I need you to figure out why you're not at peace with yourself. What are you thinking? What are you believing about yourself? And I need you to weigh that. Is it a truth or is it a lie? I pay good money to a counselor every other week to go sit and have him tell me basically the same thing. Todd, you're a mess. You're a mess. You need to go sit in your own discomfort You need to figure out who you are and who you want to be. Now, I'm not saying that my therapy is wrong. It's exactly what I need to do. But I pay someone to tell me to go be miserable. 
and sit in my own discomfort because that's the only way to heal. You have to tear something down and rebuild it before you get anything better. I, I, I get it. I get the why. Here's the sad thing. Many people are told by counselors to go sit in their own discomfort and to figure out where, what's going on. And they're, they're being led in a good way. Do you know what makes sitting in your own discomfort a little bit better? When you've got Jesus sitting in it with you. Amen. And that's what Paul says here. Through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request. Come talk to me. When you're sitting in your own discomfort, when you're, when you're trying to figure out yourself and you know that yourself isn't the version of you you want to be and you're not at peace with that, let God help guide that. Professional counseling and therapy, huge fan of it. But don't do it alone. Don't walk through it without God. Don't walk through it without Jesus helping you see who you are. Yes, press into that discomfort, but Jesus is the one who goes, I want to bring you peace in this discomfort. I want to help you be okay with you. Does that make sense? The last characteristic is peace with others. Now, peace with others is the hardest one, but I want you to understand this before I get into it. It's the last one you need to work on. And you're like, well, wait, wait, wait. This is, this is the, I, I, I've already got six people I don't like. Like, I, we, can, we can do this. Like we, like, we can do conflict resolution with this one quick. Here's the, here's the issue. Many of you have felt the feel that if, if someone just came with an instruction manual of how to not or how to engage with them, like the, we, we could deal with this conflict. And the holiday season puts us around family members and friends who the rest of the year you don't deal with because every time they come in, you're like, I don't know how to make you happy. You just seem to always be upset. You seem to always be at odds with me. And that's very frustrating because I'm the person that needs to be okay with everybody. But it's not just in the holiday season. Um, to be at peace with others, you have to first be at peace with God and yourself. And then here's how you can be at peace with others. Once you've done everything you can to love on them, you can honestly say, God, I, I don't know what else to do here. And God actually affirms that mentality. Romans 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do everything you can with the help of God to live at peace with everyone. That, that's what we are commanded to do. But if it still isn't happening at that point, then leave that situation in God's hands, knowing that you have done nothing to cause this conflict or lack of peace. Disclaimer, I can't think of one time in my life where there hasn't been something more I could do. Can't think of one time in my life where I've done everything so well that personal conflict with someone else, I couldn't do something better. But when you get to that point, you're realizing that you cannot control the actions of others, right? 
How people act is not on you. It's on them. You cannot control the actions of others, but you can control your own actions. So here's what the Bible says to do. Choose what seeds you will sow into that relationship. Are you going to sow seeds of love? Or are you going to sow seeds of conflict, strife, and hate? Here's the beautiful thing about any time you sow seeds. Even, even the most rudimentary gardeners know this. You throw some seeds out somewhere in a period of time, there's going to be something start to come up out of the ground, right? Now, it may not be healthy, it may not be good, but you put some seeds out. We had a pumpkin patch a year after our last Halloween pumpkin carving. We didn't want a pumpkin patch. We did not intend to have a pumpkin patch, but we grew a bunch of ugly pumpkins because we carved pumpkins in the front yard, and the pumpkins came up. Didn't know that was possible. But you put seeds, you sow seeds, pumpkins come up next year. You sow seeds of love, It may not be that day, it may not be that holiday season, but after a while you sow seeds of love, love will be produced. You sow seeds of hatred, discord, conflict, those are going to produce as well. St. Francis had this great statement. He said, Lord, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, just let me sow love into that. We can't, we cannot control the peace that we have with every relationship in our life. But we can't control what we sow into that relationship. Control what you can, and as much as it's up to you, live at peace with everybody. As the band comes back up here, I I want you to know this. Since peace is not the absence of conflict, I think it's important that we understand the means by which we view and handle conflict We have to look at how we view conflict with us and God. We have to look and view it how we look at conflict within ourselves and with others. There's a gift that came from heaven that is Jesus that brings peace into our life, into all three of these arenas. It's an amazing gift, but it's only a gift available for those who choose to open it, for those who choose to receive it. If you're struggling to find peace in this world, then join the club. There isn't any to be had in this world. It came from heaven to this earth for us. So maybe today what you need to do is open that free gift of grace called Jesus. Place your faith in him and experience what he came to bring. Maybe that looks like you letting us, the pastors and prayer team, pray for you. I just don't have peace in this area. I I don't have peace with God. I don't have peace with myself. I don't have peace with others. Let us pray with you. Maybe it means taking communion because there's there's a disconnect between you and God and you just are reminded of how much Jesus loves you. Maybe it's taking communion today. Maybe it's praying with someone else. And, And I'm not saying that the person sitting next to you is the person whom you're struggling with a lack of peace but it's likely it could be. And you just say, hey, I love you. And I can only control my actions. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that we could be at peace. And if I'm the cause of this conflict, then I'm going to pray that God will help me overcome my own selfishness, my own brokenness. Maybe it's just taking a moment in worship today as we respond. Maybe it's just taking a moment to ask God, 
for his peace. Just, Lord, please, please, I need this. I need you. But whatever that response looks like today, don't leave here without the peace of God all over you. Because the peace of God exists upon those whom his favor rests. And so if you're lacking peace, then you're lacking God. And he's all over this place. He's not the one coming up short. So if you're lacking peace, press into him because his favor rests on his children. Those who have experienced his grace place their faith in him and choose to follow him. Father, pour out your peace upon this place. May it be seen in your presence here, your Holy Spirit present here. Help us to walk in your ways to experience you in new and profound ways and to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need you, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your Son, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.